Hello. Hi, we're back and better than ever. It's been such a long time since we've spoken. <laughs> the peek behind the curtains, we just recorded the last episode right before yeah. this one. <laughs> uh, yep. But here, yep, I'm Scotty Milder. I'm one of your hosts. Yes, my name is Amelia Amporo. I am your other host. And this is the Weirdest Thing Podcast, where we talk about all sorts of weird shit. And this week, it is kind of weird shit. This week, we are talking about weird shit that we find that we found on the internet. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what the podcast is. So yes. <laughs> um, so this is another odds and ends episode, but it's a themed one. It's a themed one, um, sort of inspired by a conversation that we were having with my brother, as a yeah. matter of fact, on uh, our super exclusive text thread. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I know it was in the text thread, but I'm trying to remember how this came up. Uh, yeah, I don't remember either. I think I think he was basically like, you guys should do an episode on cryptids. But I don't remember yeah. why we were talking about cryptids. <laughs> I don't remember why we were talking about cryptids, but that's the thing is that we were kind of like, well, it's hard to do an episode on cryptids because there's actually not, with the exception of like maybe Bigfoot and Nessie, there's, there's not. not a ton of well, information out there. Yeah, because usually it's like there's a legend of this thing that someone saw three times and maybe someone right. else saw once. Right. And, 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 and that's I mean, the unless- story. Unless you maybe want to get into the books that you find at like Goodwill and stuff on like paranormal. <laughs> yeah. Which know? is, I mean, that's exactly what I did for Mothman, but <laughs> I think Mothman earns it. You know? Mothman. Yeah. Mothman can do, he can, he, you know, he can be on his own. Mothman um, can be all things to all people really. Yes. He's listen, he's your Mothman. Right. But so. Bigfoot is Bigfoot. There's not, there's frankly just not a lot to say about Bigfoot or Nessie or champ from you know vermont or whatever so and even then those are the ones that have the most to talk about in order to do a full episode where you do one cryptid and i do one cryptid yeah exactly so we're doing a little odds and ends like a little mini odds and ends two stories each Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh where we're kind of focused gonna be like a three-hour episode yeah well we'll we'll manage to stretch it out (laughs) i have faith in us Uh, but we're going to talk about some of the maybe lesser known cryptids. Uh, yes. That maybe you guys have not heard of. Yes. This is absolutely true. Um, am I going first on this? I mean, what do you think? What do you it want doesn't to do? matter. I don't, I don't care. Okay. I mean, I can go first if you want me to. Uh, uh, short. Short. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave all that in. All Great, right. Fantastic. Please do. <laughs> Okay, I, I guess I'll start. So, uh, just I'm not going to give the names of the articles because I'm keeping uh, some stuff a little secret. But Great. Uh, my sources are Wikipedia, Britannica.com, Thought Catalog, The Portalist, and YouTube. Mm-hmm. So, the first cryptid I'm going to talk about that I don't think you had heard of before I had mentioned it to you is the Bunyip. Have you ever heard of the Bunyip? I don't know. I look. <laughs> this is the thing that I'm learning as I'm in therapy is that I I dissociate a lot, so it's hard for me to tell because sometimes my memory is like Swiss cheese. Not because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I have a bad memory, or I'm, but rather because I have I have zoned out so much to the point where like. I wasn't present when these things were happening. Things, things are just missing. Yes. All right. Well, the Bunyip is probably the most famous cryptid from Australia. 
gorgeous. So the name comes from the Wimba Wimba people of Victoria, which is in Southeastern Australia. Mm -hmm. And it seems like most bunny up stories, I think you find similar stories all around the continent, but most of them seem to be centered in the kind of New South Wales, South Australia, Victoria kind of area. It's usually translated to mean either devil or evil spirit. Uh Uh-huh. But in the original language of the Wimba Wimba people, which I'm going to get this pronunciation wrong, as usual, I think it's where Gaia okay. is the name of the language. It's not clear that 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 like devil or evil spirit is the original meaning. Um, okay. According to a video I watched on YouTube, it says, quote, the bunyip most likely came from an aboriginal word for an amphibious spirit being. Australian indigenous peoples believe the beings are separate from the ancestors and the aboriginal people themselves and were believed to exist alongside humans. So I think what this is basically saying is it's like, you know, I think it was the colonizers who were like the devil, evil, whatever, mm. may not be like part of the original mythology okay Um, not entirely clear it's also possible that the word bunyip may be connected to the word bunjil which is an aboriginal deity slash hero figure known as the mythic great man who is said to have made the mountains rivers and all the animals so okay so the first known written use of the name appears in the sydney gazette in 1812 the writer of the article at the time used it to describe and by the way there's gonna be a couple quotes that are offensive the way uh, white australians are talking about i see aboriginal people so so those quotes do not represent the views of the weirdest thing podcast llc and certainly not the views (laughs) of scotty milder who is saying the words that i'm going to quote um but the writer of this article in the sydney gazette from 1812 he said uh the bunny was a quote large black animal like a seal with a terrible voice which creates terror among the blacks Hmm. so so there are a few like different origin stories about what the bunyip might be. Mm. Uh, one is that a man named bunyip once broke the rainbow serpent's greatest law by eating his totem animal. After that, he oh, was shit. Yeah. It was like bad news, bad Ooh. news. Okay. And so after that, he was banished and transformed into an evil spirit that lured tribesmen and their animals into the water to eat. Oh, So some stories describe it as like a bloodthirsty man-eating monster, but then other myths say that it is a, quote, punisher sent to Earth to bring justice to anyone who commits evil acts and to protect the wildlife. Mm, So like, I might be able to get behind the Bunyip's agenda here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Some accounts sort of depict it as just like a big animal, like, you know, like a Nessie type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But others say that the Bunyip actually has hypnotic or like sorcerer-like powers and has the ability to lure its victims to it. So this goes back to like the Otcon that I was talking about when I was talking about the Black-Eyed Children. Right, 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 right. Okay, so what does the Bunyip look like? Okay, what does it look like? We should have recorded this episode first. God damn it. (laughs) Now that it's like super dark and super late. Yeah. Um, So there's no consistent physical description of the bunyip mm-hmm. a writer named george french angus in 1847 he got a description from the morundi people of like the murray river area in australia mm-hmm. and he said it as quote much dreaded by them it inhabits the murray but they have some difficulty describing it its most usual form is said to be that of an enormous starfish hmm. so, okay okay but then there was an outline image of the bunyip it was known as the chalicum bunyip it was carved by aboriginal people into the bank of the i I apparently could not type i think it's fiery creek 
Okay. In Victoria, <laughs> in 1851, the Australasian newspaper described it as having been quote speared after killing an Aboriginal man. So that's like the the depiction, like oh, okay. this outline depiction, okay. showed it having been speared. Interestingly, it was known as a place that the people, and I'm not sure which Aboriginal people we're talking about, because it's important to note that there is no like Aboriginal culture of Australia. There's hundreds of Aboriginal cultures of Australia. Okay. So I'm not sure which culture this was, but the site where this outline had been carved into the banks of this river was a place where the people would actually come every year and retrace the outline to like make sure it stayed. Um, but over time that stopped and actually the Chilicum Bunyip no longer exists. So we only know it through descriptions. Wow. Okay. Um, a woman named Eugenie Louise McNeil, who I think might be an Australian writer, but I forgot to look her up. I just know like on Wikipedia, her name was in blue. So it's like a link to somebody of some import. Right. Um, but she recalled being told as a child in the 1890s that it had a quote snout like an owl. It's also been described as resembling a seal or a swimming dog, usually about four feet long. I wrote 406 feet long, but I don't think that was correct. I think it was four <laughs> feet long and with a shaggy brown coat. In these reports, it was described to have kind of a round head like a bulldog. But then other people have said that it had a long neck and a small head like an emu. These descriptions have it between 5 and 15 feet long with black brown fur, large ears, small tusks. And like I said, a a head that looks like an emu or sometimes a horse. And the neck is said to be like... (laughs) elongated and maned with many folds of skin. So kind of like a turkey neck, I think. Okay. So again, like there's no connection between these descriptions. But yeah, all, that's a- so, you know, a starfish, a seal, or a fucking weird emu monster. I mean, like- I'm still stuck on the snout of an owl because an owl doesn't have a snout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I, I kind of pinged on that as well. <laughs> I was like, okay. you mean the beak of an owl? Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> other descriptions have said it's like a, a, a large horse. Some people have said it's like uh, looks like a kangaroo or a hippo or even an alligator. It has been described as being covered in shaggy hair, sometimes sleek short hair, sometimes scales, and even sometimes feathers. So again, like, what the fuck is this thing? Part of why there's probably no real single cohesive description is, like I said, there's no single cohesive Aboriginal culture in Australia. Right, Uh, right, right, right. For European contact, there are estimated to have been more than 250 distinct language groups throughout the country. So that's like, I mean... It's a lot yeah. of different peoples with different mythologies all kind of coming together. So there's like crossover, but they all have their own interpretation. Yeah. But there are a couple of things that are sort of consistent among the stories. Okay. One is that it lays its eggs in platypus nests. Okay. Poor platypus. So, okay. <laughs> I know. It's generally always said to be amphibious, lives around lakes, rivers, swamps, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not going to find it like out in the outback, like in the desert. You know, it is uh, and it's also said to be nocturnal. The other pretty consistent part of the legend that seems to pop up in almost all descriptions is the, quote, loud roaring call. Mm. Okay. So put a bit of that because we're going to get back to that. I think that might be important. Okay. Um, In some of the stories, it eats people. I would say it seems like most of the early stories, it's a man eater. It eats people, particularly women and children. Of course. Um, of course. So 
this kind of puts it along the same lines of myths like have you heard of rawhead and bloody bones yes yeah it's like an irish celtic yes. myth yep like these these myths are are basically used as warnings about dangers of bodies of water usually to scare children away from like wandering off into the swamp mm. Mm-hmm. You know, so like one very famous story of the Bunyip tells of a woman who went to the shore of a lake at night to collect water, and then she was attacked by a Bunyip with glowing red eyes. It struck quickly and tore her arm off at the shoulder. Oh, shit. When the men of the community then went hunting for it the next day, all they were able to find was a single black blood covered feather. Hmm. Okay. No one really knows where the myth comes from originally. And like a lot of indigenous cultures, you know, these 250 language groups, Aboriginal language groups are, are primarily an oral language mm-hmm. um not a written language i mean there's pictograms and things like that but you know there aren't like books with descriptions of the bunyip and really until the european colonizers arrived so in 1933 a guy named charles finner theorized that the stories may actually come from instances where seals particularly elephant seals have made their way up the murray and darling rivers and this is something that is known to happen like okay. people like this is been proven that this happens particularly elephant seals if you've ever seen an elephant seal they're fucking weird looking they're enormous as shit they don't really look like seals because they have that weird flap over their face Uh uh-huh and they're particularly known for their extremely loud roar yeah okay so i think there may be some truth to this this seems this this tracks for me Okay. Other people have thought that this, that the bunny may come from like a cultural memory of extinct marsupials. Hmm. Um, so like there's creatures like the Diprotodon went extinct about 44,000 years ago. I just saw a skeleton of it and it looks kind of like a rhino, I think. Okay. There was also something called the Zygomaturus. Um, I didn't look up what that looked like, but it's probably big. It went extinct about 36,000 years ago. The thing is people arrived in Australia, I think roughly about 50,000 years ago. So they would have overlapped with these mm. big, we- I mean, if, I mean, we all know like animals in Australia are fucking weird as shit. Like I, there's, there's a lot happening there. Yes. There's a lot going on down in Australia. That's yeah. just like, not really like anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> in the world. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Another more recent theory, this is from 2017, is that stories of the bunny were actually inspired by encounters with a southern cassowary, which is a big, fucked up, scary ass bird. It's related to the emu. It's known for being territorial and violent, has Mm. deadly claws. It can gut you. Okay. That I'm like, but people know what a cassowary is, right? So, like, why would they mistake that for bunyip? Because I think there's, like, lots of cassowaries all over Australia. Mm. Like, okay. I don't think they're rare in Australia. So, that oh, that seems a little weird for me. Okay. Now, when the Europeans first colonized Australia, it was believed by them that the bunyip was an actual living animal that just hadn't been discovered yet. Because Europeans, probably, like, the original Aboriginal people 50,000 years ago, Europeans showed up in Australia and were like, what the fuck are these animals? <laughs> right <laughs> what's going on what is what's happening here yeah yeah so to them like a weird river monster really didn't seem that unlikely <laughs> <laughs> so like this of course prompted there were just like bunny up sightings all over the place from the 1840s and 1850s okay 
Um, so perhaps the earliest recorded encounter, so this is like European encounter, with a bunny up came in 1818 when the explorers Hamilton Hume and James Meehan found large animal bones at Lake Bathurst in New South Wales. They described the remains as resembling either hippopotamus or manatee, but they, ne- they didn't take the bones with them. They just left. Mm. They never went back to the lake. The Philosophical Society of Australasia actually re- offered to pay them to recover the bone, to go back and get the bones. But they were like, no, nah, we don't, we don't want to do that. Eh, we're over it. We're, we're over it pretty yeah. much. So like no one really knows exactly what they found there. Okay. But it's assumed that they're probably fossilized bones of something like a diprotodon. Like I said, Mm. in 1830, more bones were found in the Wellington cave. These bones were, quote, of some quadruped much larger than an ox or buffalo. And then a Scottish Presbyterian minister uh, who was also like a big prominent advocate for Australia's independence. And I forgot to write down his fucking name, but he's like, if you're an Australian, you probably know who I'm talking about. Okay. Rarely is a big deal. Um, But he was like, obviously, this proves that Noah's flood was real. Because, like, (laughs) what other explanation could there be? (laughs) But later, a British anatomist named Sir Richard Owen also said it was probably this diprotodon. Okay. So more fossils have been found over the years. So this just fueled stories about this weird-ass creature out in the fucking uh, Australian, like, swamps. Mm -hmm. And the Europeans, they were just lapping the shit up. Um, So all of a sudden, like, bunyip becomes a thing you okay know? so in 1845 a newspaper called the geelong advertiser wrote an article about some new fossils that were found and they had this again gross ass quote okay it says quote on the bone being shown to an intelligent black he at once recognized Jesus. it as belonging to the bunyip which he declared he had seen on being requested to make a drawing of it he did so without hesitation this article also spoke of an aboriginal woman who had supposedly been killed by a bunyip and quote the most direct evidence of all a man having showed up with quote several deep wounds on his breast made by the claws of an animal i'm like but did he say it was a bunyip or all you just white folks being like, oh, this is a bunyip, you know, yeah. because. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we don't know. Okay. In 1847, a quote, bunyip skull was found by a settler and taken to the Australian Museum. It was a sensation. People were like, oh my God, proof of the bunyip. And they uh-huh. started going and visiting. It was lining up around the fucking block to see the bunyip skull. And of course, the Sydney Morning Herald, the newspaper, started interviewing people who were like waiting to see the skull. And they all started talking about their bunyip sightings. Okay. Like everyone had seen the fucking bunyip. Right. Later, the skull was determined to be the deformed fetal skull of a calf. Oh. So. Bum, bum, super not a bunyip. Yeah. <laughs> um, also in 1847, a quote, Bunyip or immense platypus was sighted sunning himself on the placid bosom of the Yara, just outside of the custom house in Melbourne. I just like the placid bosom of the Yara. Yeah. And then, quote, immediately a crowd gathered and three men set off by boat to secure the stranger, which disappeared when they were about a yard from it. Okay. Um, so the fact, uh, I mean, my guess, probably a fucking elephant seal, but you know, what yeah. do I know? <laughs> So it's become the bunny up has become a pop culture icon in Australia. Over time, the meaning of the creature has changed. Um, you know, early stories were about this bloodthirsty, man-eating, 
punisher of the wicked you know mm. um, but then it got more popular as like a figure in children's books and so it stopped being described as this like vicious man eater and became just sort of a big dopey herbivore um okay. and so now it's just like this like sort of cutesy fucking uh, because this is what happens colonizers fucking appropriate everything uh-huh <laughs> so there you go yeah um can i just oh, i'm pretty much done but can i just tell you my history why yes. i kind of fell in love with the bunny up yes. um, <laughs> when i was a little kid uh one of my favorite movies that i think i was talking to you guys about was called were, Dot and the kangaroo i'm pretty sure that's where this whole i actually think that's that, what we were talking about which that's maybe what cryptid. started yeah mm-hmm. came out in like the late 70s it's got like live action backgrounds but then animated little creatures and people Mm-hmm. it's about a little girl a uh, little white girl of course mm-hmm. dot mm-hmm. who like is home with her family and her mom is like come inside dot and she's like let me go to the river to get some whatever blah, blah, blah. and her mother's like okay be careful be back soon and then of course dot runs off again i think she's like chasing a rabbit and gets lost and now Look, she's, i just like, want to i just want to interject real quick and say that <laughs> if you would like to take dialect lessons from scotty you can email yeah. him at the weirdest thing <laughs> dialect x expert scotty Scotty yes (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so dot runs off and gets lost in the i mean i guess it's not the outback i think they call it the bush because it's Mm -hmm. more like wooded Mm -hmm. and she's approached by a kangaroo and the and you know dot sitting there crying and the kangaroo is like tapping on the shoulder and then trying to talk to her and so the kangaroo gives her a weird little magic root and dot eats the root and suddenly now she can hear animals Mm. and the kangaroo is like sad because she lost her joey oh and so she's like but i'll help you get home dot and so the rest of the movie is about dot riding in the pouch of this kangaroo as the kangaroo is trying to get her home right well in the middle of this fucking cutie ass kids movie is the bunyip song yes where we learn the story of the bunyip so i'm going to share my screen okay and just show you part we're not gonna watch the whole thing but okay you gotta see part of the bunyip song okay okay here we go okay that was your favorite part oh yeah <laughs> i watched that movie over and over and over again and for many years the only part of the movie i remembered was the bunny song mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but then i actually did it's actually kind of hard to find but i think i found it somewhere on streaming and i watched it i don't know like a year ago or something uh-huh and it's i mean it's corny as fuck as a movie but it's i was 
I still kind of dig it. And I mean, also pretty trippy the way a lot of mm-hmm. uh, the way a lot of children's content was trippy back in like the late 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. You're like, what is this fucking like LSD musical number that we're dealing with here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that this whole that whole movie was pretty trippy. Yeah, it's, it's basically about a little girl on drugs the whole time having a trip. This is know? true. Yeah, she's dealing with uh, she's dealing with some some mind altering yeah, psychedelics. She's just, she's just she's she's going through it. In that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's the story. So I'm gonna say like real quick believability scale. I don't uh-huh. want to say zero because I don't want to be the asshole not Aboriginal Australian poo-pooing mm-hmm. an aboriginal australian myth mm-hmm. so i'm not gonna put it on the believability scale okay but i am gonna say the whole thing about elephant seals and the loud roar mm-hmm. does make me think there might be some sort of connection there so interesting okay. that is the story of the bunny fantastic i'm gonna take you on a trip through some latin american cryptids okay and our first one is going to be el cuckoo Mm. um okay el cuckoo is a latina mother's best ally and her child's worst nightmare um (laughs) it is also known as the cuckoo coco Mm -hmm. coca cuckoo cuckoo and cuca Mm -hmm. yeah All right. So this is an honest to God boogeyman. Uh, Mm -hmm. El Cuckoo is often used by mothers and caregivers to scare children into behaving. It is a monster that preys on disobedient children coming to snatch them and either devouring them immediately, leaving no trace or spiriting the children away to a place of no return. Mm -hmm. The origin of this monster slash cryptid is pretty tangled but in post-medieval history it's been primarily used to scare children into behaving and i'll i'll kind of yeah circle back to this um so most sources say that el cuckoo does not have a form or physical characteristics Mm. it is almost never described relying rather on the imagination of each individual to give it its form. So it's, I think it's one of those things like a baddie in a book by a transphobe that we don't talk about anymore, Mm -hmm. where it is something that like represents fear, but that is in the eye of the beholder. Right. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Additionally, the way that El Cuckoo looks is not what's actually the scariest thing about him. And rather it's what he'll do to you. Should he catch you misbehaving? Mm. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's less about him being like a scary looking thing and more about the fact right. that, like he's, he's coming to eat you. Mm-hmm. Um, I just said that he watches from rooftops, from the shadows behind curtains, under furniture, like Ooh. basically he is everywhere. like, yes, everywhere. He is omnipresent and omniscient mm. <laughs> lying in wait until you step a toe out of line to strike. And like, that is that like, really, that is the thing is that it's like El Cuckoo is always around it's like yeah big yeah. brother shit yeah. very much so from wikipedia oh i forgot to read my sources hold on oh yeah sources for both of these are wikipedia reddit refinery 29 uh huffington post tracking the chupacabra by our friend of the pod benjamin radford oh, yeah yeah. Uh, you know, making making a second appearance in uh, as many episodes. <laughs> An article from Remescla, uh, which is like a sort of Latin American culture website. Mm-hmm. And an 
article from Atlas Obscura. Okay. So those are my, those are my sources. My bad, my bad. Okay. So from Wikipedia is this quote, it represents the opposite of a guardian angel and is frequently compared to the devil. So again, mm. something that is like always there. Yeah. That, that, that is terrifying. Yeah. And I have to say it's a rather brilliant, if not traumatizing way to keep your children in line when you can't mm-hmm. have eyes on them. Right. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, my um, grandpa, my grandpa used to tell me about what well, he called a rawhide and bloody bones. I just referred to right. rawhide, but it was the same thing. It was just like, be good. A raw, rawhide and bloody bones is coming for you. Right. Yeah. Some regions do say that the coca version is coca and kuka are sort of seen as like female versions of this. And okay. there's some, there's like, I think they all kind of stem from the, a similar origin, but it seems like there's some breakoffs that happen there. So some regions do say that the coca version is a female dragon who Mm. was prevalent in medieval celebrations in the Iberian peninsula. Interesting. Um, Again, I'll come back to this in a little bit. Additionally, the Real Academia Española Dictionary describes El Cucu as a ghost with an empty pumpkin for a head, Mm. which is similar (laughs) to something we know here as well. Um, Also described as a vicious fanged creature. Mm. These descriptions are less common and, and, and they can be like regional. Right. The word coco means coconut in Spanish, but it's also colloquially colloquially used to refer to the human head or skull. Mm. So the origin of this creature is the Northern Iberian Peninsula, specifically Galicia and uh, Northern Portugal. Okay. Outside of Spain and Portugal, almost every Latin American has a version of El Cucu, and the legend is also present in Northern New Mexico and Southern Colorado mm-hmm. areas that have a high concentration of Hispanic people. Um, right. I'm specifically using the word Hispanic here because that is where Spanish people settled once they were ran mm-hmm. out of Spain during right. the um, <laughs> When they ran out of Spain. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the first known written record of El Cucu actually comes from a Greek historian. His name was Diodorus Siculus. Hmm. And he wrote that Iberian soldiers would remove their enemies' heads and pierce them with spears as an offering to El Cuco. Siculus did not name him, but that's sort of generally to be like, we're all talking about El Cuco here. Yeah. Also, I'm not messing up pronunciation of this in that area in his writings. Like, well, he didn't write it, but in that region, this thing is referred to as El Cuco. Mm-hmm. And I've been calling him El Cuco. Mm-hmm. This is, I'm going to, that's just more to keep me accountable to pronunciation. Okay. Um, El Cuco also makes its first known appearance in rhyme in the 17th century in the Auto de los Desposorios de la Virgen by Juan Cajes. Okay. Okay. This rhyme in the original Spanish says, so I'm going to say it in Spanish, then I'm going to give you the translation. It says, Duermate niño, duermate ya, ya viene el coco y te comerá. Translated, that basically means sleep child, sleep now, coco is coming and will eat you. 
Mm. <laughs> nice little uh, lullaby to put your kid to sleep. Yes. Part of the reason that I wanted to do this is because a lullaby that my own mother sang to me when I was a baby seems to be taken directly from this rhyme. Mm. Um, I won't, I won't sing it for you, but the lyrics basically translate into go to sleep, my child, go to sleep, my son, like the sun in the sky, mm-hmm. go to sleep, peace of my heart. Kuko. <laughs> is coming to eat you. Go to sleep, my child. (laughs) So they didn't soften it at all. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Sidebar to this is that versions of the Duermete Mi Niño lullaby exist in several Latin American countries, Mm -hmm. but the others are either solely about like basking in the beauty of this lovely child or pleading with the child to go to sleep. Like there are versions that are like, please go to sleep because I have to fold your nappies or I have housework to do. I cannot express to you how (laughs) indicative the version that my mother sang to me is of Bolivian tough love. (laughs) Because we're talking about a lullaby here that's basically like, go the fuck to sleep or I'm going to let the cuckoo eat your disobedient ass. Like go to sleep. <laughs> um, when I asked my mom about it, I had a conversation about it, about this with her when I was doing the, the research for it. And mm. I was like, you know, I told her, I was like, other Latin American countries have this lullaby, but there's nothing about the cuckoo in it. And she was like, maybe it was just my mother who sang that version. <laughs> and I was like, Fantastic. It does seem like Lusophone, meaning Portuguese speaking countries, adhere to the cuckoo story. The way that they ad- adhere to the cuckoo story allows for a bit more in terms of physical shape. So okay. in, in Brazil and Portugal, you get a little bit more of a defined, like this is what it looks like. These are mm-hmm. also the countries that I see that seem to have more of a female version of it. Oh, interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the things that I'd heard is that like it can look like a small owl or other birds of prey. Additionally as well, the female version coca or kuka seems to have different, like seems to have different shapes and, and origins altogether. So we're talking about like right. anthropomorphic alligators, humanoid female alligators, right. okay. tortoises with horns and dragon claws and dragon heads, um, a sea creature, a dragon, mm-hmm. etc. It feels like that was sort of where the split was, is that like Spain was like shapeless boogeyman right? right. <laughs> and Portugal was like it's like it's a, a dragon it's yeah, yeah it's a dragon in popular culture el cuckoo makes an appearance in don quixote the epitaph mm-hmm. of don quixote reads uh this is translated of course he had the whole world in little he was the scarecrow and the cocoa of the world hmm. um mm-hmm. i i kind of remember that line but i had no idea what it was referring to yeah and that's that's the interesting thing there are a couple of duende is another one that is pretty prevalent throughout latin american culture mm-hmm. and differs from country to country or region to region, but like there is no translation for it. Like Mm -hmm. it is what it is and there's no translation. Goya, the artist Goya depicts El Cucu called El Coco in his painting titled Que Viene El Coco. uh, And that Mm. was done in 1799. And it's, I'll post it on social media. It's going to be like the one image I have, but (laughs) it's basically just like a shadowy cloaked figure, like looming over a child's bed. Sounds very Goya. Yeah. Yes. Goya was really fucked up. Oh, yeah. Like, he was really fucked up. Um, Definitely. Yeah, he was, he was, 
processing a lot in his mm-hmm. art. Cuckoo appears in Adventure Quest Worlds, which is a massive <laughs> multiplayer online role player game. I guess it's a character in there that mm-hmm. you can do. Okay. Uh, I don't know a lot about that kind of thing. In 2013, Universal Studios Hollywood's Halloween Horror Nights, Jesus Christ, that's a mouthful, (laughs) featured El Cuckoo at a scare zone, Mm. and he was voiced by national treasure and living legend Danny Trejo. Oh, nice. Yes, I love that. That's cool. Um, mm -hmm. On the TV series Grimm, El Cuckoo poses as a little old lady. This is kind of cool. Poses as a little old lady who answers the prayer of crime victims attacking criminals and dispensing vigilante justice. Mm, that's mm-hmm. good. Okay. I like that too. Mm-hmm. In Stephen King's novel, mm-hmm. It, it is thought that maybe some inspiration was taking from the cuckoo. You know, there's the light, I'm the eater of worlds. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. That kind of a thing. Also talking about something that is specified, shape is specified from the, like specifically to the fears of each individual child. Yeah. Um, I've, I've definitely read that theory. Additionally, Stephen King's 2018 novel, The Outsider, Mm -hmm. as well as also the 2020 HBO series based on King's book, features a version of El Cuckoo. And I think that's that's actually like has been said that he's like, yeah, I took it. Yeah, well, I think um, if I'm remembering, I don't know that it's that El Cuckoo is named in the book, Mm -mm. but I do think he did say that was his inspiration. And then it is like explicitly named on in the series yes yeah yes which is also cool um Mm -hmm. disney's wizards of waverly place had an episode that featured a family of wealthy cuckoos who were fond of scaring children but also scared (laughs) of werewolves (laughs) well you know everything's got everyone's got their thing i guess yeah so this is interesting an article the article that i sourced for the story from remescla says that spanish legend has it that el cuckoo was once a man named francisco ortega who at the beginning of the 20th century was desperate to find a cure for his tuberculosis he visited a curandera who told him that he needed to drink the blood of a child which led to ortega kidnapping a seven-year-old boy named bernardo Mm. the thing about this theory is that that's a true story. It's actually a mm. real crime, and it happened in 1910 in Gador, Ooh. Spain. Okay. Um, Francisco Ortega, a.k.a. El Moruno the Moor, was sick with tuberculosis, and he went to a curandera named Agustina Rodriguez and a healer named Francisco Leona, who drugged Bernardo mm-hmm. Para, who's the little boy, kidnapped him. We're going to talk a little bit about some violence towards a Mm. child. So if you need to fast forward, please do so here, but kidnapped him, stabbed him in the armpit to drain Mm. his blood, which Ortega mixed with sugar and then drank. Mm. And then the boy was murdered and they extracted his fat to make a compress that was put on Ortega's chest. Jesus. Mm -hmm. The entire crime fell apart when Leona's accomplice got mad that Ortega's fee of like 3000. I don't Mm. know what the, what the monetary uh, unit currency. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Was at that time, but it was 3000, whatever they are. And the accomplice got mad because Leona didn't like split it evenly among Mm. all of the, all of the baddies. And so he was like, well, I'm going to go to the police. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Most of the perpetrators were sentenced to death. Yeah. 
Um, fair. fair. Obviously, since this happened in 1910, it takes place a long time after El Cucu was already part of Spanish and Portuguese folklore. Right. Right. But it might have had it might have lended a hand, uh, lended a hand in in adding like credibility to the legend. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. One last boogeyman note: Francisco Leona, who was the guy who was like, "Yeah, we'll go do this," was known as a sacamantecas, and this is. Is a this is interesting in terms of like Hispanic culture. Mm-hmm. Asaca mantecas literally means to like take. I feel like when I hear manteca, it's referred to as lard. It's like an animal fat. Mm-hmm. But in this, I think it means like human fat. Oh, okay. And it is Asaca mantecas is a boogeyman or an actual criminal who is so named because they are characterized by killing for human fat. apparently that was a bit like human fat was a big old pharmacopoeia wow um we're just the worst fucking species we are the worst and put a pin in that because i'm gonna come back to that later okay in the meantime be good or the cuckoo is gonna come and eat you (laughs) and there we go that is the story of el cuckoo yeah i'd never heard of that legend i don't think until the outsider mm-hmm. um i've tried to remember if that's something like my grandmother would have told me but i don't think so I mean, my grandpa used to always do the rawhide and bloody bones thing but right i don't remember el cuckoo so yeah i just i think it's interesting that it is this thing that it's like interesting and clever that nobody was ever like oh it's a thing with horns but i mean the portuguese did but like right. the hispanic people and latin american people were just like we're just gonna leave it up to you like, shapeshifters amorphous horror to me yes. is like some of the the most like the more amorphous something is the more terrifying it tends to be uh-huh. and like I, I gotta say, I don't know how well it adheres to the actual legend, but the way it's used, like The Outsider, the book, it's not one of my mm-hmm. favorite Stephen King books, but actually uh-huh. the series is actually pretty excellent. They they kind of improved on the book in some mm-hmm. significant ways. And the way the legend is used in the show is yeah. very effective. Like I don't know how like accurate it is, but just it's very effectively done. Yeah, yeah. I watched the first episode of it and I don't know where in the episode it is, but there's like a shot mm-hmm. of it and I was like, I think I've got to check the fuck out. It's, like I mean, I'm- it it actually got under my skin, but it's mm-hmm. it's a it, you know, it's a doppelganger story and as I mm-hmm. think I've told you like doppelganger stuff tends to be if there's anything that spooks me the most, it's shapeshifters and doppelgangers <laughs> so <laughs> that's why you know i think it is also such a yeah powerful it's definitely one of stephen king's best so well i think it's i you know I, it's one of those things that to me makes it really hard for me to read i'm sorry makes it really hard for me to watch movies based on books because the things that i have created in my head always are, are yeah. better for me than what i see on screen well it's always personal. like I think Stephen King actually talks about it in his Dance Macabre book where he's like, you know, the moment you see the zipper, it's kind of right. kind of done, <laughs> you know? Right. Your mind right. can create something totally terrifying and eldritch and whatever, but like the moment it's like, oh, it's latex and right. You know, I mean, right. I think the only movie I can think of that really overcomes that to me is John Carpenter's The Thing. But I'm not gonna go on like a whole fucking rant about this. Okay, stuff, yeah, that's for like, another that's a whole other show. But yeah, no, but you're actually right. And that's why stories like 
Is it El Cucu? Is that how you were pronouncing it's it? It's El Cucu. It's El Coco. It's El Cuco. Uh-huh. It's El... like so it's just all sorts. Do a do a do two C's and 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 some vowels in there, and you'll be okay. good. <laughs> you'll you'll figure it out. You'll get close at least. <laughs> um, no, but that's why that stories like that are so scary because it is so like amorphous. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So that's that. Be good. All right. Well, my next story. I gotta say. Like this one is absolutely terrifying. Oh, great. Actually here. Well, here's what I'm going to say. It's at least as terrifying as the bell, Witch, and about as believable as the Lordsburg door. Okay. So, <laughs> if, if you're, if you're hearing uh, the sarcasm and <laughs> what I'm saying, um, <laughs> I hope let, let me just say, I don't think you need to get up and lock your fucking doors and windows for this. Okay. <laughs> it's funny. Cause my garbage cans are still outside. And I was like, Oh, let me go get them. Cause I don't yeah, want to afterwards. Know. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I, I think you'll be fine. Okay. okay. <laughs> so let me take you back a little bit of a cold open. Okay. Um, to 1 a.m. on March 3rd, 1972, in Loveland, Ohio. Okay. A police officer named Ray Shockey was like, he was driving kind of right outside of Loveland. And Loveland is kind of right in like the Cincinnati area. So it's like okay. Southern Ohio. Mm-hmm. He's driving, it's kind of like right outside of Loveland. He's driving past this boot factory and he's on what was called Riverside Drive which is a road that runs right along the side of the little Miami river. Okay. So he he's passing this boot factory and right as he passes this factory an unidentified animal, like scurried across the road Mm-mm. and the headlights caught it. And so shocky, he got a very clear view of it. Here's what he described. He said it was three to four feet long, maybe 75 pounds. It had leathery skin. After it ran across the road, it crouched on the shoulder like a frog and watched him as he passed and then it stood fully erect and climbed over the guardrail before running down the slope to the river. The only evidence that it had ever been there was there were a few scratch marks on the side of the guardrail. So this is the story of the Loveland Frogman. Okay. God bless. <laughs> let's do it. Let's let's fucking do it. So here's a quote from a woman named Natalie Dalea. This is from The Portalist in 2020, where she says, Growing up in Cincinnati, my family often took trips to Loveland, Ohio, to appreciate the natural scenery, the bike trails, the rippling rivers and lakes. Little did I realize the same roads we drove on were allegedly the haunting grounds of the Loveland Frog, a mysterious humanoid amphibian said to lurk around the city. The Loveland Frog is probably one of the lesser known cryptids. Everyone knows of its closest neighbor, the Mothman of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Heyo, shout out. Uh, there are constant high-tech searches for the Loch Ness Monster and alleged Bigfoot sightings have occurred all over the world. The Loveland Frog, though, remains elusive. You could ask any cryptozoologist about it and forget naming the Frogman. They might not even know where to find Loveland on a map. Mm. All right, so let's go even further back to 1955. Okay. So this is the first possible sighting of the Loveland Frogman. Uh, it's when a traveling salesman, he was driving through Loveland. He's on his way, I think, back to Cincinnati. It was at night. He's driving along this poorly lit road. And then he approaches the bridge that's going over the little Miami River. And I think it was like one of those covered bridges, if I'm not mistaken. As he's approaching the bridge, he sees, quote, three humanoid yet frog-like creatures looming in the shadows at the side of the road. Mm. Um, so he slows down because he's like, what the fuck? And he watches the frog folk just standing around and like talking amongst themselves, apparently like oblivious to him. So he said, again, he said they were all about three and a half feet tall with leathery skin and webbed hands and feet. He said they were hairless and had bulging eyes and wide mouths. 
so he's sitting there watching them and then one of these frog people sees him and what does the frog person do he pulls out a magic fucking wand and starts waving it at the salesman <laughs> um just you need to see amelia's reaction to that <laughs> It's a combination of amusement and like, why are the fuck are you even telling me this story? <laughs> I, I like in the in the cryptid wackiness bingo card. I did not have pull out a magic wand. Yeah, no, he pulls out a magic wand and starts okay. waving it at the salesman, and the wand starts shooting sparks up into the air. Okay. So at this point, the salesman like he just fucked off out of there because he was just like, nope. And as he sped away, he noticed the smell of alfalfa and almonds like lingering in the air. Okay. So that was the first sighting <laughs> of the Loveland frog. Band. <laughs> and then I just do, does alfalfa and or almonds have a strong odor? I have no idea. I mean, I guess I kind of know what almonds smell like. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what alfalfa smells like. Yeah. I, I guess also, again, what, let us know in the comments. I guess what do these things do have to do with frogs I, I mean maybe they just grew alfalfa and almonds in the area who knows oh uh, yeah okay but so okay so this was in 1955 fast forward back to 1972 so i think like there were like some stories about this loveland frog man right mm-hmm. but i don't think people are taking it that seriously but this cop this uh what was his name ray shockey you know he saw this he saw this thing and he you know he's a police officer you know like respected member of the community um he saw the frogman two weeks later Another Loveland police officer, a guy named Mark Matthews, was driving down the same road in roughly the same area. And he sees a lump on the side of the road. Okay. He thought it was roadkill. He thought like, oh, someone hit a raccoon or something. So he pulls over, stops, stops the cruiser and gets out because he's thinking, I better clear this out of the road. Mm-hmm. But as he's approaching it, it springs to life and jumps at him. <laughs> and then it runs for the guardrail and scrambles underneath. Okay. So Matthews being a typical red-blooded American pulls out his revolver and fucking shoots it. Um, And he hits it and kills it. He grabs the body, throws it into his truck to show to Shockey. He gets, you know, I think the next day he brings Shockey down to his cruiser and says, I think I killed your frog man. I just want to show you what it was. He opens the trunk. Shockey looks like, yep, that's it. So what was it? It was a fucking iguana. It was a three foot long iguana that was missing its tail probably okay. got loose or someone just let it go when it got too big and it's just uh-huh. living by the river minding its own goddamn business until fucking mark matthews has to shoot the fucking thing oh my god just leave the iguana alone well yeah. anyway so there you go there's there's your loveland frog man um <laughs> <laughs> but later matthews tells the story to a guy who comes uh-huh. into town and writing a book about urban legends. He says, okay, yeah. hold on, hold on, hold on. Because I have to ask. Mm-hmm. So Shaki's like, that's it. Who was like, time out, guys, that's an iguana. No, Matthews. He was like, like as soon as they saw what it was, it was like, oh, it's a fucking iguana. Like <laughs> Ray Sh- Shaki wasn't like, oh my God, it's it's the frogman. They were like, oh yeah, that's it. I guess it was an iguana. Like <laughs> they weren't like, they weren't fooling themselves as to what it was. Okay. Uh, Okay. But later, Matthews is telling the story to an author who's writing a book on urban legends and comes and interviews him because I think it's known that, ooh, Mark Matthews maybe saw the frogman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Mark Matthews tells this author the story. The author is like, cool, 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 writes it all down, goes and publishes his book, tells the story word for word what happened, except he omits the part that confirms that it's a fucking iguana <laughs> because I guess that does, isn't going to sell as many copies mm. of your fucking book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. 
sorry guys sorry to tell you but the loveland frogman was a fucking iguana but what about this traveling salesman well i couldn't find any confirmation that this fucking story existed before they saw the iguana and shot it so i feel like this might have been a little bit of local retconning because like who was this traveling salesman like and 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 you know convenient that he was mm -hmm. a traveling salesman right like no it was it was bob over at the garage exactly it's also worth pointing out that if this actually happened i don't know about the fucking magic wand or whatever Uh but this happened in (laughs) 1955 (laughs) Uh The year before, you know, this was 1955, the year before a movie came out called Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yes. So it's maybe possible that, like, frog people were just sort of on the brain. Right. You know? um, but not to be deterred, not to be deterred, I should say. Mm-hmm. Cryptid hunters have still, like, it's not a very well-known cryptid, but there are cryptid hunters who are like, no, we're going to find the frogman. So they're still going to Loveland. They're still looking for the frogman. Sounds like for a long time, people in Loveland were like, there's not a fucking frogman. Mm. But then I think they were like, we want some of that Roswell money. So now you mm. can go to Loveland and they sell like a bunch of frogman swag. Like you can get a t-shirt that says, I saw the Loveland frog. Fantastic. Um, so there you go. So the Loveland frog is pretty much all kinds of bullshit. Okay. But it does have the distinction of being maybe the only cryptid that has its own stage musical. Yes. So in 2014, a couple Ohio actors, a guy named Joshua Steele and Mike Hall, they were actors, musicians, and playwrights. They wrote and staged a bluegrass musical called Hot Damn. It's the Loveland Frog. Uh, (laughs) They staged it at the Cincinnati Fringe Festival. That was 2014. But wait, story's not quite over. There There maybe is. There's maybe a little wrinkle to the story. Okay. In August of 2016, a TV station in Cincinnati reported that a, quote, night of fun turned into a chilling tale of hell for two teenagers who were out playing Pokemon Go between Loveland and Lake Isabella. (laughs) Um, So these two teenagers, I forgot to write down their names. I think it was a boyfriend and girlfriend. They're playing Pokemon Go. They're crossing the train tracks on the bank of the lake, I think Lake Isabella. Uh And they look out into the lake and what do they see? They see a giant frog staring at them. Okay. The frog stood up and then walked away on its hind legs. Like, <laughs> so one of the frog. So here's what one of the teens said. I think the boyfriend. He said, "We saw a huge frog near the water. Not the game. This was an actual giant frog." <laughs> then the thing stood up and walked on its hind legs. I realize this sounds crazy, but I swear, my grandmother's grave. This is the truth. And then he says, uh, "Not sure if it was a frog man or just a giant frog. Either way, never seen anything like it." So one of the teens took a picture of the frog. And it circulated what? all over the website. So I'm going to send you the picture. I'm going to send it send in. Send it to me now. I, I guess I'll. I guess I'll text it to you. That seems. Yes. Dead air. Dead air. Dead air. So uh, you should have a picture of the giant frog. Oh my god! I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my and that's god. that's pretty credible, isn't it? <laughs> it sure looks like a giant fucking frog. Oh my God. Yeah. So there you go. There's the oh giant Oh my frog. God. This is so, I mean, like it, <laughs> it's honestly like, it looks like cookie monster, like yeah. coming out of the water. <laughs> it looks like yeah. a rock with like two googly eyes on top of it. Yeah. It's uh, we'll put it in social media. Oh um, God, so after fantastic. this quote, citing mm-hmm. heavy air quotes, uh, a bunch of reporters, they called this Mark Matthews, the guy who shot the iguana. And he was like, no, it was a goddamn fucking iguana. Like okay. it wasn't a fucking frogman. 
later, it was revealed that the frogman in the picture was another local high school student who was just hiding out there in a homemade frog costume. Yes. <laughs> that is the yes. story of the Loveland frog. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, so, please let it be someone who's like... Yeah. <laughs> I, what it wasn't clear to me is if the two teenagers who took the picture were in on the hoax or if this kid in the frog suit was hoaxing them like i mean i hope either way yeah <laughs> pretty great. either way it's fantastic oh my god that's incredible so yeah so like i said believability scale for the bunyip i'm, I'm not gonna say believability scale for the loveland frog is like negative 2000 okay fantastic so. <laughs> Well, no, actually, the believability scale, it's like 100 because there was a fucking iguana. There was an iguana. So the Loveland frog existed. It was just a fucking iguana. It was just an iguana. It was just people don't know their their zoology. Right. So there you go. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay. I'm going to bring this home with a cryptid called Pishtaco. Okay. Another mythological boogeyman that comes from the Andes region of South America, specifically Peru and Bolivia. Also known as Cardiciti, Nakyak, or Likichiri, which is, Likichiri is in the Aymara language, which is a group of indigenous people in the area. This cryptid has its origins in pre-Hispanic indigenous people. They described and feared a monster who would seek out unsuspecting natives to kidnap them, steal their body fat, cut them up, and sell their meat for cannibalistic purposes. So we're coming back to the Sacamanteca. Okay. The word pishtaco comes from the Quechua, another indigenous group, from the Quechua word piste, meaning to behead, cut the throat, or cut into slices. So before I get into the pre-Hispanic stuff, I'm- I'm going to come back to that, but first I'm actually going to talk about how the urban variant has been modernized. So in La Paz, Bolivia's capital and in Bolivia's biggest city, Pistacos attack unlucky bus riders late at night. Hmm. It is said that to prevent a Pistaco attack, one should travel only during daylight hours. And if that is not possible, you should travel in groups at night. You should also eat garlic as it is said to dilute your fat and make Hmm. it less appealing to the Pistaco. Okay. Mm-hmm. Pistaco are said to attack people as they sleep in the altiplano. So Bolivia, again, I think part of why, the, I, I, like there is a like geographical topographical connection that I have between New Mexico and Bolivia. And mm-hmm. part of it is because Bolivia has every kind of climate that you could right. imagine. So the altiplano is like the highlands. Okay. Um, and if you know anything about Bolivia, you know that like when I say the highlands, I mean like the fucking highlands. Right. Well, because it's, it's the fucking Andes, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So while someone is sleeping in the Altiplano, the Pistaco makes uh, makes long, thin slits in the person and painlessly steals their fat. Okay. The process is said to be painless, but unless this person gets treatment, they will die in a matter of days. So, and okay. it's all very like mysterious. Like there's Ew. no, there's no evidence of it. I mean, the person just dies. Very like similar to vampires. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Friend of the pod, investigator Benjamin Radford. <laughs> 
Uh, spoke to Eugenio Chavez, and Chavez is an ethnolinguist at the Ethnology and Folklore Museum in La Paz. Radford talked to him for his book, Tracking the Chupacabra, the Vampire Beast in Fact, Fiction, and Folklore. Mm. Chavez believes that the modern Pistaco is a person or group of people with special powers, including the ability to lull their victims to sleep and make painless incisions. Chavez says, quote, it's not necessarily evil, but a profession. It's an economic question. So in this, you have somebody who is like, no, this is this is real. This right. is real and it's happening. Right, because um, we've all heard those kind of stories. So. Mm-hmm. Which still is like, wait, what? Right, <laughs> right, right. right. So yeah, the modern myth says that the Pistaco steals and collects fat to sell to international corporations for use in plastic surgery, development, mm. aesthetics, cosmetics, yeah. etc. Okay, um, soap. Yes. Now, I know this might be a hard pill to swallow, but it would not be the first time that non-Indigenous people have invaded the area to take a resource and develop it for profit. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I've never heard of this. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a matter of fact, it actually like legitimately like an example of this is what happened with quinine, which became a treatment for malaria that is derived from the bark of the cinchona tree that is native to Peru. So mm. like, again, we're talking about like going beyond folklore to like actual tangible examples of right. this kind of thing. This idea also shows up in the Peruvian urban legend of saca ojos or eye stealers mm. who would kidnap children gouge out their eyes before Ugh. throwing them back on the street and selling their eyes overseas yes yeah, so there's a lot of like it's very clear that there is a genetic trauma fear mm-hmm. of outsiders coming in and um, taking and taking right. um okay so now that you've got a taste for how this monster has manifested in modern mythology, let's hop in our time machine okay. and, and head back in time. Okay. So in Inca mythology, there is a deity by the name of Viracocha, uh, which translated means sea of fat. Mm. Viracocha is the creator of earth, all of its creatures, maker of the sky, sea, and all other gods. Do so, yeah, like so we're the, talking the top. Top dude. Yeah, we're talking a powerful, powerful deity. Uh, According to the Atlas Obscura article, among the Quechua people, Viracocha must be honored. Mm -hmm. And integral to the way that he was honored was by being offered blood and fat via sacrificial animals, Mm -hmm. that kind of a thing. Offerings of animal blood are the opening sequence to all religious ceremonies. And animal, usually llama, fat is always a part of the ritual table. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So blood and fat is a thing. The sacrificing of it, the offering of it is a part of Incan mythology. Mm-hmm. Among the indigenous people of the area, fat is sacred. It gets used for medicinal and ceremonial purposes. It's been used that way for centuries. And fat on a human body is seen as a measure of health, prosperity, strength, and beauty. Mm-hmm. So this is not... A culture that values thinness right. in any way. Now, let's think for a second mm-hmm. and think who might have been in that area around the 15th and 16th centuries that maybe might have been disrespecting the religious practices and actual bodies of I mean, Native people in Peru and Bolivia. It's, it's an absolute mystery. Like <laughs> I, I, could, I, I mean, I'm drawing a fucking blank. <laughs> 
Yeah. Of course, we are talking about the Spanish conquistadors. And what's interesting about this is before the conquistadors had even reached the Incan Empire, there was already news of conquistadors using the fat of fallen Mayan soldiers to dress their own wounds. Mm. And in case you're like, okay, but like, what was the, what was like the inform, like, how did that inform, like, you know, how did that information get passed down? Is this all like urban legend, blah, blah, blah. In case you were thinking that, (laughs) conqueror Bernal Diaz del Castillo reported it in his account, which is titled Discovery and Conquest of Mexico. Like Mm -hmm. he talks about them taking the fat of Mayan soldiers and doing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And a 16th century priest and Incan scholar called Cristobal de Molina, he chronicled a spreading fear in the Peruvian city of Cusco that Spaniards were coming to kill them and drain their fat. Mm -hmm. Okay. No stories of the Pistaco exist from before the Spanish conquest. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. It is believed that the myths regarding Pistaco were born to warn intruders coming to steal and deplete a vital life force. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay. So that priest that I just mentioned, uh, Cristobal de Molina, he wasn't just like noticing that the native people in Cusco were scared. He was actually suspected of being a pistaco. Mm, He wrote, he wrote that locals would not bring him firewood because they feared being killed for their fat which would then go on to be used to grease the church bells that rang every day. Okay. Mm-hmm. Additionally, Spaniards in the Amazon were rumored to use the fat of Amazonians to grease their weapons to keep them from rusting in the intense humidity. It's so like I, this stuff is like ha- yeah. like these stories are coming from all over Peru right. and Bolivia that people are just like like it's not bad, happening bad in stuff. a vacuum. Like mm-hmm. yeah. it's also believed that the pistaco doesn't work alone. Instead, he is aided and accompanied by a human, mm-hmm. a local, a traitor, who helps him capture, transport, and kill his victims. Okay. Yeah. I think we can draw some pretty straight lines here. Mm-hmm. The Pistaco is frequently described as a stranger, almost always described as white men posing as priests, doctors, aid workers, tourists, anthropologists, etc. Mm-hmm. You'll notice that like we move from priests to modern day things like aid workers, anthropologists, right. that kind of stuff. So this myth is lingering in right. this area. Right. So we obviously what we have here is uh, is a myth. It's an urban legend, a boogeyman, wherein the monster is is a pretty clear stand in metaphor for imperialism and colonization. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's as direct a line as you can draw. Right. The trouble is, is that it isn't just a myth. Mm-hmm. Like this boogeyman existed. And even if he didn't actually steal your fat, which is debatable, quick sidebar in 2019, Peruvian police were said to have discovered a gang that murdered up to 60 people for their fat to be sold to cosmetic companies in Europe. It was a whole mm-hmm. thing. Like they brought the bodies to a cave. They like lit candles under the bodies so that their fat would like melt and drain out into tubs, mm-hmm. all of this stuff. This was later said that it was later said that the police chief in Peru had to leave his position when Peruvian ministries reported that the entire thing was a hoax to prevent investigation on extrajudicial killings committed Mm. by the police forces. Yeah. Okay. Now there's that. 
And there are still a lot of people in rural Peru who are like, that's the story that they're telling us. Mm -hmm. And like, they do not believe it at all. They believe that there actually was a gang that actually did this. Right, right. So even if the pistaco didn't come and steal your fat, Europeans and later Americans obviously did come and did steal from the indigenous people in the entire (laughs) continent. Right. (laughs) Like... Both continents. Yeah. Um, So if that isn't bad enough, the prevalence of this myth actually caused a ripple effect that led to things like the people in these areas rejecting U.S. food for peace programs. Mm -hmm. It was rejected by several communities because it was feared that the food was being delivered to fatten up children and exploit them for their fat. Mm-hmm. Geologists working in the Peruvian and Bolivian Altiplano have been attacked because they were believed to have been pistacos. Okay. Um, as well as anthropologists, I have to laugh at this, as well as anthropologists who were trying to measure fat holds and they were like, Ugh. no, you are not measuring Yeah, fat. you just fucking <laughs> stepped in it, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Like so much of that is like, do not measure my fat folds and especially do not do it because I know you're jotting this down so you can take my fat later. Right. Fucking peach taco. Right. Um, yes. I'm not sad about that one. No. <laughs> like, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not sad about anthropologists getting attacked no. uh, uh, for that. So at the end of the day, this like monster slash cryptid is actually the most distressing to me because mm-hmm. talking about it on the believability scale, like. It is it's, real. It's up there. Yeah. Yeah. Like it is. The thing is, is that like they created sort of an urban legend of it, but it was based in something that oh, actually absolutely. did happen. The boogeyman was the conquistadors and invaders like right. the whole time. Yeah. Now, one last note, you mentioned earlier that it kind of sounds like vampires. the hypnotism, the stealing of, you know, bodily fluids, the use of garlic as protection, all of this stuff. When asked about the similarities, Eugenio Chavez, who I mentioned earlier, had this to say. He said, quote, one is fiction. The other occurs right here. Yeah. And that is the story of Peru and Bolivia's Pistaco. Wow. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. That's, Mm -hmm. That's fascinating and is distressing. Yes. And I mean, we've all heard like the urban legends of like kidney thieves and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's always like, is that real? Is it not real? But it's like, I mean, there's a reason why those stories survive. Right. And like there's 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 some root somewhere to this. Right. And I mean, the fact that it is, you know, that part of the origin of this comes from the story being passed down that the conquistadors were taking the fat of fallen Mayan soldiers and using it and corrupting it in a way of being like, well, you don't need this anymore. And this is mine. Mm. And now I'm going to use it for this purpose of like dressing the wounds that I got in the decimation of your people and culture. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I'm saying. I'm like, it's real. It happened. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it happened, you know? Yeah. 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 It wasn't this like imagined fear of like, oh my gosh, like this could happen. Or like, I'm going to tell you this so that you behave. Or right. I saw something. It's like, well, this actually did happen. Right. So, okay. Wow. Oy. Yeah. I'd never <laughs> heard of that, but that I'm going to have, I'm, I'm going to want to go read more about that. Cause I, yeah. that's really interesting. It's, it's interesting too, because it's popped up in a couple of like pop culture things. What's interesting about it is that it's very, very hard to find an image of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And they vary between something that like kind of looks like a vampire or something that you're like, that's just a vampire. But there are other images that show it as like this like massive gluttonous undulating right white person. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you need an image for social media, just like put up a conquistador. there's your fish taco yeah someone had done the part of the reddit source which like led to a rabbit hole of stuff is that somebody had rendered here i'm gonna see had done a rendering of it for i think kind of like a role-playing game type Mm -hmm. of thing and i'm gonna show just a lot of crazy images of this woman like eating but i Mm. think i think it's from pistaco ended up in a episode of supernatural that show okay Mm -hmm. interestingly enough in the episode of supernatural the pistacos are latinos um Mm. which is sort of like is a seems like an interesting slash dangerous direction to go yeah, it's pretty like, okay, so you guys just like kind of read a thing and like didn't really right. look into the origin right. of this myth. You were just like, cool, cool, cool. They're brown people. Bam. Okay, yeah. so I'm sending you this picture. Okay. And then you can see, you know, what this guy. Yeah. Uh, well, uh-huh. I mean, pretty gluttonous. Yeah. 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 Um, taco fat eater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess technically... Right now, because I'm on keto, I am the peach taco. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we've all been peach tacos uh, at some point, at some point in, in our, our lives. lives. Yeah. 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 Um, Hopefully not in the kinkista door sense. Yes. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Are we all right? Yeah. I think I'm just going to leave my garbage cans outside for tonight. I'll yeah. Later. <laughs> not, not a bad plan. Yeah, I thought it was Donia making sounds that I looked over and she's curled into a little cinnamon roll on the couch. Mm. So, yeah. All right, well, on that spooky note, should we wrap up? Yes, on that spooky note, be good. Don't be a conquistador. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure something is not an iguana before, mm-hmm. before you shoot it. it. Right. And decolonize native lands. All right. Mm-hmm. Thanks, everybody. Right. Stay weird. Stay curious. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Friends will blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find. Might be true, and that's the weirdest thing.